Every year I uh, do my best uh, to pick one of those read through the Bible in a year plans. Um, sometimes it's a year, sometimes it's two years, sometimes it's more aggressive in six months or something along those lines. Uh, but I try to want to get, I want to get the full picture of the scriptures uh, each year. And if you've ever tried to do this, you'll know that uh, some sections of the scriptures are a little bit easier than others. And uh, I'm reminded of that because right now I'm reading through the book of Leviticus. And if you've ever read the book of Leviticus, it's full of lots of details. Uh, the moral law, the, the judicial law, uh, the ceremonial law, all these little details that are there for God's people. And sometimes, uh, if you're like me, you read those things and you wonder, uh, why is this here? Uh, or, or why is this really important for me to read or to know? And you sort of wrestle with that because in the New Testament, it tells us that, that God's Word is breathed out to us. It is uh, inspired. And that means that, that every word has value, every word is important. But you, then you sort of scratch your head a little bit when you get to those sections. And there's other parts of the scriptures that are called genealogies. And you've maybe read some of these uh, in the scriptures as well. Uh, these are long lists full of lots of different names. And so when you come to these sections, you sort of wonder, why are these things here? Why are they important? Why are these details included? Uh, and that is very true uh, in a lot of sections of scriptures that we look at. But if you were with us last week, you'll know that what we've decided to do this Advent season is to tackle one of these genealogies, one of these lists of family trees. And we're looking at uh, the genealogy that is contained uh, in the book of Matthew. And one of the things the genealogies remind us is that, yes, these details are important, but they also remind us that actually people— and there's lots of names of people. People matter to God. The details are important. The people are important because each and every individual person matters to God. And so as you look at Matthew's genealogy, one of the things you'll notice is that Matthew is one of the few folks who include women in his genealogy. He includes really five women in his genealogy, and what we learn is that these five women matter to God, they are important to God, but they also have a very special place in God's story of redemption. If you were with us last week, we looked at the story of Tamar, and she had a, a sort of very scandalous relationship uh, with her father-in-law. Uh, his name was Judah, and so it was a very messy story. If you were with us last week, you'll know all the details. It's a very messy story, but what it reminded us is that God is, is, is in the business of showing up in messy lives. Uh, he's in the business of making beauty out of ugliness. He's in uh, the business of making something sweet out of something that feels very messy. Uh, this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to look at the story of Rahab, uh, who is another mother of Jesus Christ. And so what I want to do is read at least a part of this genealogy again, and then I want us to skip ahead to the book of Hebrews and read a, a two-verse commentary on the story of Rahab uh, that we get from the book of Hebrews. So uh, listen to this, Matthew 1, uh, chap uh, Matthew 1 verses uh, 1 to 6, then verse 17. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez, and Zerah by Tamar, 
and Perez, the father of Hezron, and Hezron, the father of Ram, and Ram, the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab, the father of Nation, and Nation, the father of Salmon, and Salmon, the father of Boaz, by Rahab, and Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. Verse 17, so all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. And now skipping over to Hebrews uh, chapter 11, uh, just verses 30 and 31. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab, the prostitute, did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. This is God's Word. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for the Scriptures, even though at times it's hard to understand the importance of them, even in these little detail sections. Uh, but we pray that as we look at your scripture, we hang on to the promises that, that all of your scripture is profitable, uh, it is beneficial for us. So help us as we look at your scripture this morning to not just understand uh, your great plan of redemption, uh, but also help us to understand why it matters to us, why it matters to each one of us individually, why this Advent season is so important for our own personal story of redemption. So speak to us now as we look at your word. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. This is the time of year when we really think about the Christmas story in earnest. And one of the things that we discover is that the Christmas story is really a rescue story. First and foremost, that's really what this story is all about. It's a story about being rescued and about being included in the family of God. And so it is a salvation story, and all those salvation stories, they deal a lot with the topic of rescue and the topic of inclusion, being included in God's family. And so this morning, as we look at Rahab's story, what we realize is that her story sort of fits right in that theme. It is a rescue story from the judgment of God. If the great big story of redemption is about being rescued from sin and death and judgment, we recognize in Rahab that her story is a little story that's a part of that big story. It's a story of being rescued from the judgment of God and being included in his great plan of redemption. So let's put Rahab's story in context for a little bit. If you look at the Old Testament, you'll know that God makes a special promise to a man named Abraham. He says, Abraham, you're going to grow into a great people, a great family, a great nation, and I'm going to have a special relationship with you. And that, that uh, family, those promises go through Judah and Tamar, uh, the story that we looked at last week. But as we come to the story of Rahab, we see that this family had grown into a great nation. But they were a nation that was enslaved by the Egyptian people. So they cry out to God for rescue, and God visits them. He comes to them. He fights on their behalf, and he rescues them from their Egyptian enslavement. In the book of Exodus, you can read about the plagues, and you read about God uh, parting the Red Sea and providing food for them in the wilderness. 
But even after that rescue, God's promises continue for this family and for this nation. He says, I'm not done with you. I'm going to give you a promised land, a land that is flowing with milk and honey. And we learn that that land had the name of Canaan. But the only problem with that is that there was already people living there. There was a people group called the Canaanites, and they were very powerful. And the whole promised land was full of these Canaanites, and they had these very uh, large, well-fortified cities with large walls around them that seemed to be impenetrable. And so God was going to give them this land, dispossess this land from the Canaanites, and give it to God's people. Well, one of those cities uh, had the name of Jericho, and it had those big walls, and it was very well fortified, and so God's people were instructed to send spies into the city of Jericho to sort of figure out, how are we going to take this city? And so those two spies enter into the city of Jericho, but shortly after they enter in, the king of Jericho recognizes what is going on. So he sends his men all throughout the city in order to find these spies that had entered into Jericho. And so these spies have to do something quickly. And so they enter into the home of a prostitute. That's where Rahab enters in to this story. After all, uh, people are used to seeing strangers go in and out of the home of prostitutes. So this offers good cover for these two spies, but the king's men sort of sniff it out, and they realize that these spies have entered into Rahab's home. So they knock on the door, wanting to know if the spies are still there. Rahab comes to the door, and of course, she has a a, a big uh, decision point at this. Is she going to hide these spies? Is she going to cover up for them, or is she going to turn them over to the king's men? And what we learn is that Rahab decides to hide the spies. She, she covers up for them, and once the king's men are gone, uh, she lets them down on a rope from the outside of the walls so they can escape being found by the king's men. But before the spies leave, she asks them for one thing. She says, if I'm going to do this for you, if I'm going to protect you, then there's one thing I would ask of you, and that is verse 12 in Joshua chapter 2. She says this to the spies. She says, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and my mother my brothers and my sisters, all who belong to them, and deliver our lives from death. In Joshua chapter 6, it all comes to a climax, and the Jericho is defeated. If you've heard the old story before, uh, God's army, God's people, they march around the city uh, for six days in silence. You can imagine what the the residents of Jericho are thinking. For six days, God's army marches around the city of Jericho. And on that seventh day, they blow trumpets as instructed by God. They blow trumpets, and as they do, the walls of the city crumble to the ground. God's people enter in, and they set the city ablaze. They win this battle. They set the city ablaze. And so we recognize that that God has come in power. He's judged, he's destroyed the Canaanites living in Jericho. He once again 
has, has positioned himself as a mighty warrior who fights on behalf of God's people. And so all of Jericho is devoted to destruction except for one woman and her family, Rahab. She is saved. She, she places a scarlet cord in the window of her home so that when God's people enter in, they know that when they see that scarlet cord, everyone in that home is to be spared from the judgment of God. And so just as the nation of Israel was passed over when the judgment of God came through Egypt, now Rahab, she has her Passover moment. The scarlet cord saved her and her family from the judgment of God. And so the concluding statement about Rahab at the end of of Joshua 6 says this, very simply, But Rahab the prostitute and her father's household and all who belonged to her, Joshua saved alive. And she lived in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent out to spy out Jericho. That's the last detail that we get about Rahab until you go all the way to the New Testament and you open up the Gospel of Matthew and there you see Rahab's name again. And we learn that Rahab became a part of the family of the Savior. She became a part of the family of Jesus. Now, I think her story has a lot to say. I think it has a lot to say to us about the sort of salvation that comes from a relationship with Jesus Christ. And I think the first thing that it very clearly tells us is that the salvation of God is open to all. The salvation of God is open to all, and especially in Rahab's case, it is regardless of any sort of ethnicity, it is regardless of any sort of race or language. And I think that's an important thing for us to understand, because one of the huge questions all throughout the Scriptures is this, who is eligible? Who qualifies? Who gets to be a part of God's family? Or who gets to be a part of the kingdom of God? And I think that's a huge question because God does, in the Old Testament, establish a very unique relationship with Abraham and the people that comes from Abraham, this Israelite nation. And so some have read the scriptures and have the tendency to think that that relationship, yes, is unique, but it's an exclusive relationship. It's really only for Abraham, and it's really only for his descendants. But then as you read the scriptures, and especially as you come to the New Testament, you recognize that the first Christians were very careful to say that God's family isn't just open to the Israelites. It isn't just open to Abraham's physical descendants. This, you just, all you have to do is read the book of Romans. It really talks all about this. It reminds us that the kingdom of God is for both Jew and Gentile, that the kingdom of God is open to everyone. And you have to look no further than the story of Rahab, because Rahab was not an Israelite. She wasn't a family member of Abraham. She was a Canaanite, just like Tamar was last week. She was the enemy. She was a part of the people that that committed themselves against God's people. So she was numbered among the enemy. She was a foreigner. And yet, in our story, she is saved. 
She becomes numbered amongst God's people. Now, I don't have to tell you that in our culture, we live in a very polarized culture today. It just seems to be getting worse. All you got to do is watch the news. And so what happens is we tend to draw lines everywhere we can draw lines. So we draw lines according to race, according to political orientation, according to language, according to socioeconomics, and we find a million ways possible culturally to divide us from one another. And yet when we come to the kingdom of God, when we look at the kingdom of God, we see that all of those divisions that we tend to put up, all of those divisions fall away. They fade into the background because the kingdom of God is for everyone. Race, language, bank account, skin color, none of those things matter when it comes to king, the kingdom of God because the salvation of God is open to all regardless of the things that we try to set up to divide us from one another. And so the, the salvation of God, the kingdom of God is open to all. That's what the Rahab story tells us. But it also tells us something else powerfully about that. It tells us that the salvation of God is open to all, not just uh, all races and all peoples and all the things that tend to divide us, but it's open to all of us regardless of our past. Salvation of God is open to all of us regardless of of one's past. Now think about our culture. We tend to label one another, don't we? Uh, When I was a youth uh, director, we would actually give kids post-it notes and say, what are the labels that people put on you to help them to be cognizant that we live in a world that puts all sorts of labels on one another? And sometimes we label ourselves related to our profession. Sometimes those labels are related to our gifts and our talents. And sometimes those labels are related to our past, the things that we have done in our lives. Now, what's interesting about Rahab is that every time, almost every time the scriptures talk about Rahab, it gives us her label. It says, Rahab the prostitute. That was her label. She was known for this less than reputable profession. She sold her body consistently and repeatedly for money, and everybody knew it. Everyone around her knew it. And so, for all of the people that God would save in this story, of all the people in Jericho that God chooses to save, he chooses to save a prostitute. Not an investment banker, not a a doctor, not a lawyer, not a politician, not an influencer, not a wealthy person, not a professor. The only one he chooses to save is a Canaanite prostitute. And what that reminds us is that none of those labels really matter to God. The kingdom of God is not limited by what we have or have not done. The kingdom of God is bigger than any past mistake, any past misstep, or any past indiscretion. In fact, what the gospel does is this, is it takes those old labels away and it gives us new ones. We are given the label of chosen by God 
the label of being beloved by a Savior. So the salvation of God, what we see here, is open to all, regardless of race and ethnicity. It's open to all, regardless of one's past. But what we also see here is that the salvation of God is based on faith. It is open to all, but it is also based on faith. You see, when the, the spies are in Rahab's home, when, they, when they're uh, hiding and, and being covered up in Rahab's home, she says something remarkable to the spies. She gives them insight on what's going on in the city. She says that the Canaanites, that everyone around her, had heard that God's people, the Israelites, were coming. And they had heard the stories about these people. They had heard the stories about what happened in Egypt. They'd heard the stories about the plagues. They'd heard the stories about the Red Sea. And so when the Canaanites heard that the Israelites were coming, it says their hearts melted in fear because they had heard all of the stories. But not Rahab's heart. Rahab's heart said something different, and she expresses it in Joshua 2. She said, For the Lord your God... He is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. You know what this is? This is Rahab's profession of faith. This is Rahab's affirmation of faith. This was her salvation moment and her faith that she expressed here and in this moment becomes the instrument of her salvation. And then when we get to the book of Hebrews, which we read, she is even listed as one who is a paragon of faith, one of the, Hebrew, uh, the, the, the heroes of faith that are listed for us in the book of Hebrews. Now, don't miss this. Her faith involved a great risk. If she was caught hiding these spies, if she was caught for what she had done, then she would certainly be executed for treason, for harboring the spies. But in her moment, in her profession of faith, all that risk was worth it. Her faith was strong enough to take that risk, and at the end of the day, it becomes the instrument of her salvation. And so, friends, what that reminds us is something that the Scriptures talk all about from the start to finish, and that is this, that salvation has always been based on faith, and it will always be based on faith and faith alone. It has been like that from the beginning, and it will be like that until God comes again. Faith doesn't boast in righteousness. After all, Rahab, she didn't have any righteousness. She didn't have any spiritual resume to earn her way back to God. Faith doesn't boast in righteousness. It doesn't boast in one's merit. In fact, what faith does is quite the opposite. It recognizes our spiritual poverty, and it clings to Christ for salvation. As the old hymn says, "'Nothing in my hands I bring.'" Simply to the cross I cling. So Rahab reminds us that uh, salvation is open to all. Her story reminds us that salvation is based on faith. And finally, what we see in her story, the salvation of God welcomes us into the family. 
It welcomes us into the family. Rahab, she is enfolded into God's people. She becomes part of the family of Jesus Christ. And the promises of God for ultimate salvation get to run through her and through her family. Friends, this is the beauty of the salvation that is offered to us in God. You see, God doesn't invite us into some sort of cold institution. He doesn't invite us into some sort of dry religion where we just go through the motions. Instead, salvation welcomes us into the family of God. We belong. We've been adopted. We become sons and daughters of the King. Uh, I can remember last year I read a book um, by uh, Sebastian Junger, and a couple of you uh, read it with me, and we got together and we discussed it. And he talked about uh, the sort of tribal nature of human beings. And and what he said is one of the fundamental things that we all yearn for is belonging. We want to belong to a family, to a tribe, to something that is bigger to us. And, And one of the things he talks about in his book is all these instances throughout all of human history that speaks to our desire for belonging. And one of the examples that he used, which was remarkable, I'd never heard this before, is from the English colonial period. And one of the things that history records that we don't know a whole lot about, but it does record it, is that in large numbers, English settlers who came over to the colonies, they would look at the Native Americans and they would say, I want that. I want that sense of belonging, that simplicity that comes along with the tribe. And and what they found is that many English settlers would walk away from English culture and English colonial uh, initiatives and drives, and they would just take up life with the Native Americans that were here. And what they found is those Native Americans would welcome them with open arms. This is such a nice story after Thanksgiving, right? Those Native Americans would welcome them with open arms. They would welcome them into the tribe, welcome them into the family. Often they would get new names and certainly they would get a new identity that would define their life from that time forward. Friends, what a beautiful picture of the longing that each and every one of us have to be a part of a family, to belong to something, to be a part of something that speaks to our deepest yearnings. And friends, that's exactly what the Rahab story tells us. It is exactly what the Christmas story tells us as well. Salvation is open to all Salvation's instrument is this thing called faith, and when we experience that salvation, we are welcomed in to the family of God. This and so much more is offered to you in Jesus Christ. Let's pray.